Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make Welcome back to Blog Talk Radio. It's another Tuesday night, and we have another fantastic interview coming up um, that I know you are going to enjoy. Uh, This, for the next, oh, I guess about 10 weeks now left um, in uh, uh, in the catch that I uh, write every day, if you don't get it, um, you need to go to catchjohnfisher.com and sign up. Um, and you'll get an email uh, fresh every day. And for the next uh, 10, well, this is going to be a total of 12 weeks, we are actually going through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, um, it's a little different because uh, we aren't all alcoholics, but we have come to an agreement that we are all addicted. And even if it's to sin, we could start there, or to dysfunctionalism and who knows how many other things. Well, how about we're addicted to the way we think, and we think that it's the only way to think, and we, we don't have an open mind. Um, those, there are so many things that can ensnare us and entrap us and uh, um, to where we, the steps, many of the aspects of the, of the 12 steps, I believe, apply to all of us. There are, uh, there's been some studies, as a matter of fact, um, I'm just delving into a book by Richard Roy right now, which uh, is fascinating and he is he is basically showing that that everything in the twelve steps is also uh, in the Bible. It's just it's all basically there, and uh, uh, it's just that in the wisdom and brilliance of of uh, uh, Bill uh, uh, is it Miller uh, more? I don't know. I I, I got to get their names if I'm talking about this. Um, so I apologize, but the founders um, were smart, and uh, they kind of de dechristianized uh, the steps only so that they would be available to everybody, and even to those who maybe did not even believe in God, to atheists, agnostics, but who need help um, with alcoholism, and. Uh, uh, as a result, um, it's had an incredible uh, broad usage. And uh, I think I just read a statistic that it's estimated right now there are over 2 million people in, in, AA, in an AA group somewhere in the world. Um, so we are actually uh, uh, right now 
um, on step two, and our guest um, is going to help us not only with the whole aspect of recovery, but also uh, hopefully later on in the program, we're going to delve a little bit into step two because uh, uh, I know he loves talking about belief and uh, that, that will be a, that will be a great topic as well. But our guest is uh, not new to the catch. We've had him here before. He is actually my I'll, I'll call him my pastor because I don't have a current pastor right now. And he uh, was the pastor of the church that we attended when we lived in Dana Point. And um, we, we just love this guy. And uh, I'm having him especially with this topic because uh, I, I always called uh, his church, which was Capistrano Beach Church um, in Capistrano Beach, California. California, a recovery church. And um, uh, there are reasons for that that we'll, we'll, we will ask uh, Chuck in just a minute. But um, uh, first, I just want to welcome uh, Chuck Smith Jr. back to the catch on Blog Talk Radio. Chuck, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, John. I always enjoy our conversation, so I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> I am too. Chuck, I want to start with a story. I may have, I'm, you've probably heard this before, um, but it, I, I love this story because it encapsulates so easily and quickly the difference between many churches and, and, and a, a typical AA meeting. And uh, it, it came from something I read. I believe it was an article by Philip Pianci in Christianity Today, where he was he was doing that very thing, comparing AA to the church. And he ended the article with this paragraph, a paragraph about a friend of his who goes both to church and to AA, and said the the closest way he could describe the difference was to say that if he comes late to church he feels very conspicuous. He feels like the eyes of everybody are on him. He feels guilty, even though people may not be feeling that, he feels it. He, he feels like he's been bad because he didn't get to church on time and uh, uh, the guy behind him is, uh, you know, upset because he's spoiling his view and his worshipful moment getting into his pew, and uh, that's, that's what happens when he comes late to church. He said, when I come late to an AA meeting, the meeting stops, and they all get up and welcome me because they're so glad that my need for them and for the meeting uh, overcame my need for alcohol. And uh, I just think... Uh, that's a telling difference. And I, Chuck, I always felt like your church was the closest church I've ever been to, to being like an AA meeting. I mean, and I, I tell you, you know, we were late all the time. My, my family was always late. And we were <laughs> always welcomed. We never felt anything other than, oh, fantastic, you know, John and his family are here. And, uh, and because I, and I loved, I got the chance to speak at your church many times, 
And I just felt people were so approachable. They were so full of grace. They were so happy to be there. They were people who were um, aware of their own sin and their forgiveness. And I know you had, maybe you can uh, elaborate on this a little bit, but I know you had programs for uh, various recovery groups going all the time. So uh, i just like to have you talk a little bit about how did that happen? How, what, what created that environment? Did it just, did it just happen? Or what, what do you, what, how do you think that happened? And gosh, why couldn't it happen in more churches? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you, you have to wonder why. I don't know. I can't, you know. I can't say exactly how it happened. I think that it was a byproduct of something else that we were pursuing. But if you, if you look at the Bible as, you know, one great story, uh, as Jonathan Edwards said, from the fall of humankind to the incarnation of Jesus to, you know, the, the revelation, it's a story of redemption. And if it's a story of redemption, that means we need to be redeemed. Uh, so, Right away in Scripture, we come to our brokenness. And um, when we realize that we all share this in common, then we can resist judgment. We can resist feeling superior to the person who has recently slipped up. We can resist um, uh, creating walls or classes of, of Christians if what we share in common is our brokenness, we also share in common a, a savior. And if we never forget that we are being saved, we are being redeemed, then we, we can always walk with a humility around each other. And if you think about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that's exactly where it begins. You have to begin not only with a confession that you're broken, but that you're so broken you cannot repair yourself. Um, hmm. I've worked with uh, a very fine interventionist in the past, and uh, I was surprised a couple of times when someone said, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need AA. I don't need the 12 steps. I can do this on my own. And my friend's response was, good, good. You do it on your own. And that would always surprise me because he, he was an advocate of the 12 steps and getting into uh, recovery that way. Um, but he would always add, he'd say, yeah, that's great. You do it on your own. And when you fail, you're, you're going to a clinic. Okay, let's make the deal. And, um, <laughs> and, and that's because so often the addict or the alcoholic believes that they are capable of doing it on their own and they do fail when they try. So I, what happened at, uh, in our situation was um, people from AA began to come and then began to invite friends from their local fellowship, and they found something that gave uh, perspective to their sobriety uh, or the recovery, gave perspective to um, their idea of God. Uh, one time, in fact, I, I made a comment in passing from the pulpit, and of course this is where a lot of ministers get their education is by stupid things that they say from the pulpit, uh, and someone straightens them out. But I, I made the statement that um, my only problem with Alcoholics Anonymous was 
it's ambiguous reference to God as higher power and, and the openness of that. And I received a letter from a woman the following week, and she said, you know, I, just wanna, I just wanna tell you my story. She said, when I was an alcoholic, I was adamantly opposed to God. She said, in fact, the first time someone invited me to an AA meeting, I told them, I'm not going to go because AA is religious and I don't want anything to do with religion. But her friend talked her into it. She said, no, 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 it's not about religion or God. I mean, uh, you can go and it's just your higher power can be anything. Uh, So don't worry about that. And she said, by going to AA, the higher power idea warmed her up to the idea of God. And that's what brought her eventually to our church. And she said in our church, she was warmed up to the idea of Jesus Christ. And then that's how she came wow. into a personal relationship with him. So um, wow. if we, it's, it's like you said, you know, um, uh, Dr. Bob and Bill, and by the way, it doesn't matter if you don't remember their names because it's Alcoholics Anonymous anyway. Um, <laughs> but Dr. Bob and Thank Bill, um, yes. Yeah, they had they had God all over AA, and they mm-hmm. brought in a, a third person uh, who helped to to form the twelve steps. And he he said, "Do we have to say God?" He was really uh, negative on that. He says, "You know, uh, that's going to strike a lot of people wrong. It's, it's going to they're not going to get the help of the twelve steps if we use God. Can we say God as we understand Him?" And the interesting thing about that particular individual is he was raised in a fundamentalist Christian home. Hmm. He had such a bitter taste in his mouth uh, from that home that when he heard God, it made him upset. And you have to think about when AA was founded, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, alcoholism was like the epitome of what sin does to a person. I mean, ministers would say, you know, this is where your sin will take you. Just mm. look at the, uh, the, the drunkard uh, in the gutter, you know, on your way home. And that's the, you know, that's where sin takes you. So it was really natural for alcoholics to say, well, uh, the church hates us. We'll just hate the church right back. Or, you know, it, um, it has no hope mm. for us. It, it has no love for us. You know, you, you walk into a, uh, the church in those days with alcohol in your breath and there are all kinds of consequences. Mm. Wow. Wow. So what, what has happened? You know, I mean, uh, I, I want to go back to, to, um, to your church because I, I personally think Chuck that you did some things to help create the environment for that. Um, I know you, I mean, you've struggled with depression, for instance, I know that. And um, you went through a divorce and all of that happened in the context of, of the church. They, they didn't kick you out. And um, <laughs> uh, you know, you were there. So the, you all went through that together. And I can't help but think that, these things happen from the top down. I, I really do think they do. And um, that you living your life and your own, including your own struggles openly um, was, a, was a, certainly a, 
a, a large factor in helping to set that kind of environment. Don't you think so? Um, yeah, I would agree with you on that, John. You know, I had an experience. I was in high, high school or junior high, I don't remember, but I'd always ride out to church with my dad on Sunday mornings. And uh, one Sunday morning, he, he got me up early, and he said, we have to leave early today. And so on our way to church, he went by this house. He picked up a guy who was all disheveled looking and uh, kind of smelly, and he took him to this public building where he dropped him off. And on the way, he he just, you know, shared the Lord with this guy. Um, but he was dropping off this man at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And so, you know, we're continuing on to church. Now, God had blessed my dad's ministry, and there were lots of a- um, addicts who were getting off drugs and, and uh, coming to the Lord. And I asked my dad, Dad, why, why didn't you just bring that guy to church with us? Why didn't you just? you know, bring him to where he could hear the gospel and receive Christ. And my dad said, well, you know, Chuck, um, Alcoholics Anonymous actually is better suited to help these people than we are. And they're in a state where they're not really able to hear the gospel and to respond to it. Their their minds need to be, uh, you know, cleared up before that can happen. And he said, um, and AA has the best track record uh, of recovery of any uh, institution or organization. And I thought that mm. was good, and I, I was able to hang on to that. Um, mm. And then uh, I had a, a personal secretary at the Capitol Beach Church, and she was um, many years in recovery and her spiritual disciplines were the 12 steps. Uh, what you said earlier about Richard Rohr finding, you know, uh, a biblical basis mm-hmm. for each step, that's absolutely right. And, um, and uh, the founders of AA uh, had no, uh, you know, no problems taking right from the scripture mm-hmm. as they read them, the basis for making amends for, you know, uh, cataloging all of your sins and confessing them for being accountable to your sponsor and to the mm. AA community, the importance of the fellowships and even uh, wow. prayer and meditation to increase our conscious contact with God. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, but the value of AA is that they insist on maintaining the spiritual disciplines, but, you know, all Christians know we're supposed to be praying. We know that we have spiritual disciplines that are to become the habits of our lives. But a lot of Christians don't engage in all the spiritual disciplines, whereas in AA, it's a matter mm-hmm. of life or death. Wow. If all these things are in the Bible, Chuck, why isn't church more like this? Why aren't there more churches? Like, like AA means. Yeah, yeah. How come? You know, uh, John. I, you know, in various churches, it, this has various applications. Of course, there are many churches around the country and really around the world that open their doors to AA meetings. So I think that's a, mm-hmm. a huge plus. And as long as we don't make those people feel 
less than us, as long as we don't build up walls and say, well, those people come mm-hmm. here on Wednesday nights, but we're here on Sunday nights. Um, that's really important. But look, if the essence of being a Christian is believing correct doctrine, and correct doctrine is reduced to specific statements using specific words, then AA is going to be viewed as a competing ideology uh, that doesn't use the right words and doesn't use the exact statements that we use. Um, Mm. But if the essence of being a Christian is a relationship of trust and dependence on God and meaningful uh, relations of interdependence with others, then AA is at the very least, at the very least, it's pre-evangelical. And uh, it's, it's proven to be pre-evangelical for many people. But it can also be a church for some people. It, I mean, there, there are AA mm-hmm. meetings that are, um, are Christian, you know, like they are committed Christians. And for those mm-hmm. who are there, they are in fellowship with each other constantly, uh, supporting each other and, and, you know, showing that acceptance and that love. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Celebrate Recovery, I guess. Uh, it, didn't that come out of Saddleback Church? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's pretty much what we're talking about, isn't it? And, uh, that, that would be using the 12 steps, but in a spiritual context and talking about God and Jesus Christ uh, throughout. Is that right? Yes. Is that what they do? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I don't remember, I, I don't remember if it was Bill or Dr. Bob. I, I read the big book. Uh, uh, friends of mine who are in Alcoholics Anonymous, they said, read the third edition. Don't read the, the more recent uh, editions of the big book because they've taken God out. But, um, the edition that I read, hmm. uh, I, I think that it was uh, Bill W. He was in this man's home, and um, he was, uh, you know, he was doing what he did. He was very loving, very kind, but presenting the, the 12 steps to him. And at one point, um, he told him, he told the man, your hope is right there in front of your face. And he pointed to a painting over his mantle of Jesus in in Gethsemane on his knees, and um, mm. you know that that was the perspective. I mean, those guys knew that they needed God and they needed redemption in Jesus Christ in order to maintain uh, their sobriety. Mm. Wow! You know, John, I, there was... I, I'd like to. Yeah, yeah, it was powerful. Uh, I'd like to say something else about recovery, because I think that's a very important word. Um, If the goal of recovery is sobriety, then it's not going to work. I mean, the reason people use in the first place is because when sober, they're overwhelmed. Uh, Or when sober, life isn't exciting enough, so they turn to uh, substance abuse. And if all we're doing is helping them become sober, um, how, how's that going to hold them in sobriety? Sobriety itself isn't enough. I think we need to see recovery as moving into a full and rich sober life, 
moving into, and that's why it's so important to know God, is mm. moving into this deeper aspect of life, these fundamental uh, spiritual needs that we have that then break out into improved relationships, uh, greater integrity in our lives, um, more mm. acceptance and love of others, and so on. <coughs> wow, that's really important. Because that, that would be, that would have to be, you know, I, I immediately am thinking, well, if we're, if we're thinking of the spiritual aspect of these things, what, what would be the spiritual equivalent of sobriety? Right. What would you call that? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. I, I'm tempted to say um, that's what being saved is. Um, mm-hmm. But see, saved has two parts too. We are saved from, but we're also saved to. And um, sometimes we just emphasize the from part. We think, well, as long as I'm not, you know, sinning so much anymore, um, I'm where I need to be. But there's there's a more abundant life that we need to be challenged to pursue. Okay, the abundant life, the deeper life that you were just talking about. Yeah. And that's great. That's great. Um, whole, a uh, whole life. Um, exactly. And, and faith. Where we're not just <clears throat> surviving, we're thriving. Yeah. Wow. No, that's great. That's great. Um, well, in our last few minutes, I want because we're we're trying to take these step by step, and and that's ridiculous because these are these really work over a lifetime. But um, at least to get our feet wet, we we are now in step two. We have already gone through. We've already declared ourselves powerless and um, and and uh, unmanageable. But step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I, I've been studying this and thinking a lot about it and thinking, isn't that interesting that, that they made step two came to believe that, that this could happen. You don't, it, mm. it doesn't happen though until step three, step three, then, okay, then I give myself, I surrender myself over to that higher power. But step two, I just came to believe that there there is one there that it exists, and 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 that there's a possibility. I've had people say that step two is a is the step of hope, because it it, it gives me hope that there is there is a, a way out. And um, uh, but I love that whole idea of came to believe because. Uh, I'd like you to just talk about that a little bit because I think that that says that it's not, I just don't suddenly believe overnight. I mean, it, it, there's a process. And um, maybe, maybe you could help us in some way with that, with that process of belief. And, and how, do we, how do we give someone else, you know, that, that process and how do we take it as well for ourselves? I'm not even sure what I'm asking here, but I'd love for you to just comment on that whole idea of came to believe. 
Well, what you're saying, John, is, is excellent, really. And, um, you know, this has to be connected to the first step that I discover my brokenness. I'm powerless to change myself. So if I can't look to, to myself, I have to look to something that can work in me and with me that has greater power than I do. Um, it's like when David said, you know, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so I think mm. that, that, first of all, just letting people know that we've found someone who is greater than ourselves and who has lifted us out of that pit is, you know, it goes a long way in helping them. And I, and I don't think that we can hear the testimonies often enough. I think you know, that's going on constantly in AA. By the way, my, uh, my youngest daughter just got her 10-year chip uh, in AA, so I'm very, very you know, mm-hmm. proud of her and pleased with what's you know, happened in her life. But um, wow. my friend who, who um, did interventions uh, regarding Step 2 said, Chuck, what this has to do with is finding a believable God. And that just knocked me down when he said that because so many depictions of God uh, are overly sentimental or are fairy tale. They're just, they're not believable. You Mm. need to have a believable God to put your belief in. So those two things, you know, that we have found Mm -hmm. that one who's greater than we are and who has helped us and reaches down constantly to help us in our brokenness. And it's believable. Belief is a tough one, Chuck, because you can't, we can't help somebody believe. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, it's frustrating. I, I've been working w- with an uh, 83-year-old man who is um, completely disabled. He's, he's on his back. He's fed through a tube, and he... He can't lift his arm or leg or he just, he's there. That his mind is still active and, um, but he doesn't believe. He's, he, he's told his wife all along that he can't. He maybe even wishes he could, but he, but he can't. And uh, I've been gingerly stepping along this process with him. And um, I think we're getting to where we can start to talk about this now. Um, That's great. But how do you do that? How how do you help somebody like that? Because knowing too, that belief doesn't belief come from God. Aren't we just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little frustrated here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that, uh, that that Paul would be satisfied with that answer. Um, uh, I don't think we should be either, uh, because we can assist people in in their coming to faith. We just, you know, need wisdom in doing it. But I think the the first step is to listen. Uh, we won't know what's keeping them from faith in God unless we listen carefully to them, and uh, we need to become good listeners, and and then. You know, mm. after we've heard them, we'll have a better idea of what needs to be said, what needs to be covered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, um, but I think 
I think what I like about this second step, and I've already talked to him about this, is that that it is um, it, it, it's something that we come come to we we come to believe and yeah. um, right let so so let's talk about it let's let's find out what what that process looks like and uh, uh, and are there any other ways you can think of um, uh, to help somebody along that along that process without you know, without making them feel like here's this is a person who actually earlier on his wife had told me to avoid ever speaking about God because he's so he he doesn't want anybody to talk to him about it. Um, mm. So he's come he's come a ways uh, already. That's how do you, wonderful. You know, how do you do that? Well, I, again, I think that testimony is really helpful in this regard uh, because uh, okay. people are moved when they, they hear that there are others in a similar situation as their own who are now beyond that. And um, you know, uh, what might be really helpful to him would be to hear the testimony of those who also found it very difficult to believe and and who hasn't found it difficult to believe? I'm, you know, I mean, really, mm. um, you can be really, you know, uh, a, a naive or simple person and say, well, you know, I just believe it because I saw it there in the scripture and that was good enough for me. Well, you know, I think that's wonderful. But, you know, some of us, especially mm-hmm. in the culture uh, of, you know, our modern world, uh, you know, the the impact of the enlightenment on us thinking about man's reason versus, you know, the superstitions of the past, all these things work against faith. Um, and so if we can uh, hear from people who like us had that mindset, but drawn to God uh, by steps and stages, just hearing that, you know, I know that as a believer, sometimes my unbelief is overcome by the testimony of others. Mm. Mm. Well, our time is almost up, but uh, I, I just want to I, I want to talk just hear you talk just a little bit more about that. I love this idea that you brought up of finding a believable God. Um, <laughs> How do we do that? How, how do we do? What's that process? Um, uh, can you can you just talk about that a little bit more? Go a little more deeper into how to help someone find a believable God. You know, there was a uh, a believer in our community. In fact, um, he lived in Laguna Beach. Uh, uh, Chucky C. He uh, he actually had a son who's a very famous uh, uh, television and movie actor, but uh, Chucky C wrote a book entitled "A New Pair of Glasses," and in it he he tells of this uh, person in AA that he was working with, and how um, uh, the person was moaning and groaning about you know how difficult a time he was having with God and everything, and uh, and Chucky P said to him. Well, hey, look, um, if your God isn't working, 
why don't you try mine? And uh, and I thought, when I read that, I thought, now that's great, uh, because that's what some people find, is that their God isn't working. And what's happened is they have uh, em- embraced a notion of God that is not workable. And because it's not workable, mm. it's not helping them at all. So I think that um, there are... There are naive ideas about God. There are shallow ideas about God. And uh, because of naive or shallow or simplistic, it's not believable. And if if you're going to stake your life on God's existence and and his work in in you and and following his, you know, his, um, the, the life that he's destined for you, it better be believable. Hmm. Wow, that's great. That's great. So that sounds like we have we have a responsibility um, for our own faith to make sure our God is believable. That's right. <laughs> that's right. What, what are we telling other people? I mean, is it really helpful? Right. Um, and, right. And if you know they they think, oh well, you know that's all fairy tale then, you know, what what have we forgotten to tell them? Because something helped us to overcome that, that feeling of could this all be fairy tale? Yeah. Which says a lot why we have to keep, we have to keep thinking and keep searching and going deeper with, yes. with God and the truth. We, we can't just stay in one spot. That's right, Even, and pastors have the responsibility of doing that for their congregations, of constantly challenging them, you know, to, uh, you know, to know Christ, to know their faith, and to, you know, face the really hard things of life. That you know, um, sometimes children die before their parents, and uh, how do how do we get through this? Um, and where's God in all of this? Mm. Wow, this is fantastic, Chuck. Thank you so much. I I had not realized that um, you had done as much thinking about the twelve steps and and exposure to them. So uh, we just may have to have you back before we're done with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I'll look um, forward to it. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, that would be great. That would be so great. And. Uh, but uh, these thoughts have been so helpful. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I, I wish you well with your, your new spiritual community. We didn't talk about that, but um, uh, you're, you're not pastor of a church, but you are leading a spiritual community. Is that correct? correct. Yep. Yeah. And uh, can you put that in a sentence or two, what's happening with those <laughs> people and what, you know? Where, where is um, this? Or, or just no, just let us know what this is to you. I, I want to know um, what this means to you and how you're feeling about it. Okay, the the, the quickest way is um, I'm with another disciple. We're on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus joins us. So we are in this spiritual journey. We are moving forward together. And Jesus is with us in it. 
And that's what we're trying to wow. to uh, live out. Wow. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay, Chuck. Thank you so much. And You're uh, welcome, John. We will. We'll, we'll have you back soon. Terrific. Okay. God bless. Bye. Well, there you go. There you go, folks. That was so cool. Um, that was wonderful. And uh, I hope you grab some some good stuff. There was tons of good stuff there about recovery and then about belief and what it means to uh, on that second, second step. Um, wow. I, I hope you'll listen back to this. Um, and uh, uh, I, I'm so glad, thankful for this conversation. It's, it's helped me understand a whole lot too. So um, God bless Come come back next week. We're going to continue with this theme. Some fascinating guests we have uh, lined up. Um, it's going to be really good, and it gets better and better. Um, and then get the catch. Every day uh, we'll be exploring deeper these steps and what they, re- what they actually mean to you and I as uh as believers and those who are in process ourselves. So God bless you. We'll be back again soon. Don't keep the faith. Give it away.